Welcome to the Gateway Ministry School Life of Leadership Podcast. Hear from our Gateway Ministry School speakers as they share insights into their unique leadership experience. We hope this episode will enhance and contribute to your leadership journey. Welcome to another episode of Life of Leadership Podcast. It's really great that you are able to join us today. Um, we do have a really special guest with us. His name is Tim Fawcett, currently working for um, SU Australia. And um, But before I introduce Tim, I would like to welcome my co-host, Mr. Samuel Jackson. <laughs> how are you? Okay, Seb, how are you? I'm good, thank you. I so never you... know what's going to come out of your mouth when you say hello to me. But uh, <laughs> Mr. Samuel Jackson, that'll, that is my name. <laughs> that- so Correct. thank you. That is thank your you. name. That um, is your name. Great, to, great to be joined by Tim. Uh, I, I've I've heard the name Tim Fawcett around the around the traps for the last 15, 20 years. So it's great to finally meet you, Tim. But welcome to the podcast today. Thank you. Thank you. I'm I'm glad to be here, and I'm glad that you've not said anything scary about me. <laughs> <laughs> not yet, anyway. Um, mate, uh, thank you for your investment in our church and in our GMS students. You're, as we speak, about to take, and we, we've got to keep an eye on the clock for this for this uh, interview. You're about to take a cohort of students to the mosque. Um, why? why? Why is that an important experience along the leadership journey? Um, yes, it's a real joy to thank you for being able to work with the group here and with the church and. There's a couple of reasons why I guess I take a group to uh, a mosque. And the, the first is probably the obvious short-term mission idea mm-hmm. is that you take people outside their comfort zone. And in the same way that we would take people to Vanuatu or Cambodia or to an indigenous community, is it's, it's just different. It gives you a different perspective. So there's a small part of it that's, that's um, just experiencing um, a new community and debriefing that. But there's probably a bigger reason. And it, it ties to my leadership story. Um, I've had seasons in my leadership ministry journey where I've had what you might call orthodox leadership. I've had power, I've had budgets, I've had staff, I've had influence, I've had a title, I've had my own office. Um, And then I've gone through a season where I've not had that. So for the last four years, I've been back at Scripps Union and I've been a, um, using using the the language of of status, I've had a lowly role where I've been a specialist in the area of culture for SU. So I've been trying to think, how do we engage First Australians? How do we engage the multicultural church? And how do we enrich our cross-cultural or interfaith mission? But I've done it all on my own with no title, with no office, with no budget, with no no team. And I've I've had to learn um, the uh, way you can be a leader when you don't have power. And I've found it to be an incredible blessing Mm -hmm. to learn that not only is it possible that we can influence people, influence systems, influence um, hearts through vulnerability, through power, um, but it's actually the heart of our God where he said, if you want to be the greatest, you need to be the least. Mm -hmm. And we're in church land, we're in parachurch land where status and ministry is often associated with the higher up the food chain you get, the more authority you have. But actually, I think becoming a guest at a mosque is a hint at being powerless because you're on mm-hmm. their territory, we're attending their their prayers, and the counsel I will give the group is not to come with a desire to preach. I think they've already been hinted at mm-hmm. that. It's not going there to convert them because we've asked to be visitors. We've not come telling them that we're going to tell them why they're wrong. We're coming to be weak and 
in the process of debriefing that, it forces us to think what makes us distinctive. Mm. It forces us to think about how do we see them and understand them. And so hopefully enriches our ability to be distinctively distinctively different witnesses that invite them into asking, why do we do what we do? Why are we different? Why do we have hope in the world when they um, approach life and faith and death very differently? So it is a, it is a, um, a cross-cultural experience, but it's also, I think, quite a fundamentally Christian witness discipleship journey of learning powerlessness by going to another person's place of worship. That's brilliant. May you, you, you hinted there at your role, current role with SU. Can you expand a bit more on that? But then the, se- the second part of my question is, tell me how you would have thought it would have been different if SU had have said, here's a big budget, here's a team, here's an office, go and do the same role. It's a really good question <laughs> um, because a day might come when I do have those yeah. things. Um, I I don't think I enjoyed learning the lessons of being a leader without power. Um, I led a charity that grew across the UK and so I'd come from a CEO role of a charity that employed 15 people and was and was enjoying quite a steady growth trajectory. And then I came back here and I was given the worst seat on the floor. Um, I was not involved in any meetings where decisions were made. Um, but I think, I think um, because I knew I had... I had the welcome of the CEO and the senior leadership, um, I jumped fences. So I would go into anyone's office. <laughs> I would go to, I was originally employed, even though Scripture Union's now just officially merged, um, even when I came back from England, I was still going to other states and chatting to anyone in the movement about this. And I found that um, if I'd gone with a stick, if I'd gone with telling people that we need to love Indigenous people and we need to do more with refugees and we need to, to you know, give representation to non-white people, um, I think I would have put people's backs up. But because I went telling stories, because I went with no power, it opened doors everywhere I went. So the day I do get conventional power, I think this hard-won lesson of powerlessness needs to still infuse through yeah. any future role I have in leadership. And what I think if... The majority of your listeners, the majority of people in church ministry are going to have conventional power. It's really hard not to have it. Mm. And it's needed. You need mm. a senior pastor and you need somebody who makes decisions about a ministry area and that decides how the budget is spent. So we need to be able to do both. We need to be able to um, uh, lead people but lead them in a, in a way that keeps structures flat that, uh, you know, Andrew Main talked this morning about um, being comfortable in the functional role that we have as leaders, not necessarily the you know the the power role or the traditional hierarchical role that we have and i think that is a challenge that i'm going to live with for the rest of my days Mm -hmm. Uh, my nature is to want to grow to change to influence to and to have had learned learned in the humiliating vulnerable story of not having power has definitely shaped the way i'm i'm wanting to grow the influence that culture will have across su in coming years so you've talked a bit there about the sort of the internal leadership uh, and the reality of having no power, how have you found it important as you've sought to uh, start to mix in the multicultural world, the multi-faith world, uh, all of those sorts of environments? I imagine that the powerlessness thing is pretty important there as well. Can you talk to us a little bit about that? Yeah, I think um, when you talk to a lot of cultural minority people, they know powerlessness. They know what it feels like to be a guest in a country that's not their home country. Um and they don't need to have it explained to them <laughs> mm. what it feels like to have to listen to 
others all mm. the time mm. and for them having to do all the translating because the majority is assuming the norm and they're having to be the ones that work out what they can compromise on and what they can't. So I tend to find initially a lot of the churches I go out to, or multicultural groups, are sceptical about why I'm coming because they, do they expect me to make them all come on our camps and do things our way? But when, when I ask different questions, they then start thinking of ways that SU could be a viable place of service or witness. So it's taken time, takes longer. It invites questions about are we willing to change. So I've, I've put in, a, in, a, in an objective that I will know that we're making a difference cross-culturally with SU when I find our white majority systems willing to adapt to an outside immigrant voice. Mm. So when they say we don't like your camps because we don't go to beaches, can we do camps in this way? And our organisation says, yes, let's adapt to run camps the way you and your families and your kids like them. Then I'll know we've made progress because then I'll know that our organisation is willing to be powerless, yeah. adapt and listen, be willing to change, be willing to go at the pace of the weaker brother or sister. Mm. Um, so I think um, as SU, as a predominantly white organisation, navigating a Christian landscape that is increasingly not white, um, I think it's it's going to be either we only focus on the white church um, or we adapt to become more of God's people, the broader face of God's people, and that's going to be threatening for some of my colleagues. Um, I don't want them to have quotas. I don't think quotas... Well, I think quotas are healthy, but I don't think quotas are really the, the heart issue. Mm. Rather than having a quota and we need to you know, squeeze a, you know, a, a, an immigrant person into a into a role because of the quota. But I want people in our organisation who currently hold power to want mm. to have um, change, to want to embrace a conflicting story. Um, and that will be a sign of growth, I think, yeah. in the Lord and in loving our neighbour and our brother and sister. That will be only blessed by God in our mission. A very wise woman once said to me, uh, <laughs> the key to becoming truly multicultural is sharing power. And I think you've just accentuated that by saying that that mm. giving away of power that, yeah, this this works for us, but we're going to um, allow some space here to become truly multicultural. Mm. Yeah, that's great. It is, as you were speaking, words like powerlessness, weakness and weaker. If, if I'm honest, it sounds quite jarring in in the ter in terms of how we would talk about people because we would see that as a demeaning thing or like a oh like you know why are you calling me powerless <laughs> like, um but i know that's come from actually a biblical kind of theological point of view do you want to unpack that a little bit for us because when you hear those words would you agree that it can be a bit jarring especially to us in a western context yes and i think in a, our environment they are foreign terms and i think we can associate love with weakness. We can uh, can associate powerlessness with, you know, submission. Mm. I think you can be a very strong, loving leader, um, and still no vulnerability. If the creator of the universe came as mm -hmm. a humble child to a, you know, a little family that were essentially refugees because of a census in Bethlehem and. You know, if he could humbly serve as a carpenter for mm. 30 years before starting his public ministry, if if he could be willing to lay down his life to a Roman cross, 
then if the creator of the universe could be powerless, if the creator of the universe could be willing to be seen as a servant and in fact say that the greatest amongst you is the least and to come to Christ as a little child, then there's a particularly big hint yeah. that these things are true to the heart of God. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I, I feel guilt-stricken that um, we serve a God who grew up in the Middle East and has honour and shame values mm-hmm. that we in the Western cultures are foreign to. So, you know, I just told the parable of the Good Samaritan. The, the Samaritan was a despised individual and the person, the people of honour should have been the ones that rescued the mm-hmm. injured man on the street. But the person with the least honour, the person with the most foreign theology, um, you know, eth- ethnicity, economics was the one who acted with radical love. And we are called to a form of radical love that is higher um, than I think we we can comprehend. So we're being called to a higher standard, a harder standard, a, a more lofty standard, but it actually requires a willingness to, to put others first above ourselves. And um, so I think this is a contradiction that we can be strong yeah. leaders, we can have... I have conventional, what we would say in Western terms, you know, tra- traditional hierarchy and structures and authority lines, but we can still infuse that with the values and the heart of a saviour who was willing to lay down his life and put others above him. So I think when you start seeing the hints of this, it's littered all through scripture Absolutely, that we would yeah. gra- grapple with love in a um, more radical way than, um, than I think we're often fed in mm-hmm. our structures mm-hmm. so it's not just from the platforms it's fed to us in our structures where we're led from the front of a church and we have elders or we have pastors but selflessness is mm-hmm. is the transport I, I've, I've been fascinated with the book of ruth re- recently ruth is a story founded in the judges a, 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 mm-hmm. a season of history of the jewish people that was defined by its closing verse that the people had no king and they did what they wanted it was a selfish selfless uh, selfish not God honoring mm. time in history, and yet in that season, Ruth, Naomi, and Boaz all demonstrated selfless love. Mm. They put each other, they put other things, they put the honor of the mother-in-law, they put the the honor of the the mother-in-law, Naomi's husband. Boaz was willing to lay down his own status in order to mm. redeem redeem Ruth, and Ruth put her mother-in-law's needs and well-being above her own of going back to Moab. Mm. And it's a it's a like a lightning beam in the middle of that era, and yet that is what that selflessness is what we see in the story of Jesus, and that should be a trait that that exists in us as a church, and will be what transforms the world, not how big and clever our churches are. Yeah, wow, wow. Sounds like there's a book in that, Tim. When are you going to write it? <laughs> <laughs> I'm good at talking. <laughs> I'm not good at writing. You just need to get a voice recorder and you know, voice to text. Get a Mate, writer. As you take these students to the mosque this afternoon, what, what's your hope? What, what do you hope to see formed in them that will equip them well for leadership in, in the future? It's funny. Almost every time I go, something different happens. Mm. So part of me is a bit nervous about you know, what will happen. Um, but I hope they have lightning bulb moments where they go, ah, oh, I didn't think it would be like that. I was really grateful for how honest they were in next door. There were some people going, I'm afraid, I, yeah, I'm nervous mm-hmm. about this. I, I don't agree with Muslims. 
but I want them ultimately to fall in love with Jesus. Mm. Ultimately, Jesus should be yeah. the object of this visit. It's not Islam. It's not them. It's about us and what it means to be more mm. more closely following him in our witness in the world. Jesus used a Samaritan to teach us to love him. I'm using the mosque to teach us to love him. It's, it's you know, they won't necessarily need to become missionaries to Muslims. Um, but if we walk closer with him, then that's... A, a big mm. outcome I'd love to see from today. Awesome. I feel like we've only scratched the surface, Tim. We'd love I to know. have you back to have more time with you. Um, you do have uh, a time on this afternoon that we want to we want to uh, honour. Yeah. But thanks so much uh, yeah. for Thank being on the me. podcast today. Before you go, Tim, I know that um, part of the work that you do is to help and equip people, which is what you've just been doing with us here. Um, I, I believe you have a training coming up. Yes. Mm. So um, the ministry that we, the ministry brand that we have around SU's work is called Chat, which stands for Cultural Hearing, Asking, Telling, and that is a, a way of using dialogue or using conversation to um, grow us, but also grow our witness. So we have two days of training on the 16th and 17th of uh, August here in Brisbane, um, and the details are on chatproject.org.au. You might be able to share that. Yeah. Um, there is a, a cost to it, but we don't want money to not be a reason for people to come. I, I say that all the time. Um, but if people are interested in getting some skills in how to put cross-cultural um, and loving your neighbour ministry into practice, either in schools, in churches, or in camping contexts, or any youth or children's work context, or any ministry context, uh, this would be really good personal and professional development training. Great. Awesome. Fantastic. Thank you Thanks so, much. so much, Tim. Thanks for being with us, Tim. Thanks for having me. Thank you for tuning in to the Gateway Ministry School Life of Leadership podcast. Follow us for more chats with experienced leaders. For more information on Gateway Ministry School, please head to our website at gatewaybaptist.com.au forward slash GMS.